The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. This is already our 20th episode. Very exciting for me and the podcast team here at Keystone and also the NERA team who we produce this podcast in cooperation with. By the way, the NERA conference is September 26th to 28th, Falmouth, Massachusetts, down the Cape. So be sure to register. And now for this episode, my guest is the CEO and co-founder of Easy Cater, Stefania Millette. I think you'll find this episode intriguing because Stefania is not exclusively focused on HR as the leader of the organization. But at the same time, since she started EasyCater, she naturally brought cutting-edge people strategy and culture-building principles to this amazing organization. Next up on the podcast is the CHRO of MFS Investment Management, Mark Leary. And now, I bring you my conversation with Stefania Millette. Well, Stefania, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Our common connection is your CFO, Bob Cruikshank. Um, well, coaching soccer on the sidelines together, he's been telling me a lot about Easy Cater and nice. about you and about the awesome culture that you've developed here and the exciting growth of your business. So uh, great to be able to sit down with you. Nice. It's nice to know that even off hours, Bob t- says good things. Uh, he's that's always, great. always talking about you and Easy Cater. That's good. We have high opinions of Bob too. That's great. <laughs> You're our first non-HR practitioner, although I think you actually do practice HR. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit. So it's great to have a CEO on the podcast. And we know you're very culture and values based as an organization and you personally. But before we get into that, I know that's going to be a big part of our conversation today. It'd be good if our listeners could get a sense of who you are and maybe an early life experience or some influence that you've experienced in your life that helped make you who you are today or helped shape who you are as a leader. Sure. Uh, uh, I would say that I am a pretty principled person. That was probably the best thing that I got out of my very strict and very micromanaging parents at Catholic parochial school. But I decided early on I wanted to push back against influences that I had. I wanted to let people be themselves. I wanted to be able to be myself, and I wanted to let people be themselves. And I will tell you, it took me many years before I could articulate that that was what I was heading for. But unconsciously, that is what I was heading for. Let people be their best selves. Be themselves. If you are yourself, then you are your best self. Most of us introduce badness, behave less than better, less than as well as we could, because we think we have to be something else, because we think we're pleasing somebody else, because we're being artificial. So I'm on a journey to being myself, and I'm on a journey to letting everybody around me be themselves. I trained as an engineer. Uh, pretty soon, though, I discovered that I'm a business person more than I'm an engineer. I think in systems. It's one of the reasons I like principles. It's just, it's clarity, it's organizing principles, whether they're ethical or how you file your documents, it all makes for a smoother operation. Can you think of a time when that switch through for you, where you said, I'm not just software and engineering yeah. and uh, more of a business leader? Yeah. I when was... did that happen? Well, it had been happening more and more that I 
was being asked by my fellow programmers, you go talk to the customers. You find out what they want to do. Because I was a woman, this was the mid-70s, and I showered every day. <laughs> and they didn't. And I kind of got dressed because I was a woman. I just happened to dress slightly better. And they were guys who like were throw me raw meat, leave me out of talking to human beings. And so I was out there talking to humans. And I started to realize engineers have a tough road to hoe. If you're Steve Jobs, the world bows down to you. But most of us engineers do work that makes things work very smoothly and people don't notice it. They only notice us when we do something that breaks. Mm. So it's frustrating to be an engineer. You don't get the kind of positive feedback that you'd like that every one of us wants to have. Mm. Like the offensive line, Jobs. the offensive lineman of the business world, it sounds like. It, it really right? is. Only when yes. there's a penalty. Only when there's a penalty. Yeah. But I discovered that as a business person, you get lots of strokes because you're kind of out there making noise. People are noticing things. There's a lot of feedback. The feedback loops are strong. So I thought, huh, I have a choice. And I'm probably even slightly better as a business person than I am as an engineer. I was never going to be a Steve Jobs. So I went for where the feedback loop was, was more positive and I'd be less frustrated. Hmm. So I can't remember what day that was, but it was a pretty clear realization that led me to that. And so then I kept doing it, and the world kept responding well because people who can translate from technology to humans were in small supply in those days. There's many more people like that today, mm -hmm. but it's still a very valuable thing. Absolutely. So I did that. That's great. And how did you, you're one of the co-founders of yeah. Easy Cater. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the founding and if you want to, about the, you know, what market need you're serving. Explaining yeah, a little sure. bit about the business model, because sure, sure, I sure. think I know, and I think sure. some of our listeners know, but let's be clear. Sure. And by the way, this is an HR leader audience. They're in charge of Ordering event food. planning, <laughs> and there are they have people on their teams that are in charge of employee events. So this is a good chance for you to sell. This is the part where which you get my advertising. Which you grew up doing. So <laughs> right. uh, here, here's the ad section of the, the Hennessy Report. That's great. So... I am the execution person. I'm an operating executive. I don't come up with the brilliant initial idea for a company. I have built several companies, but they've always been somebody else's first idea. This company is no different. My co-founder, Briscoe Rogers, uh, had an idea for a company that he launched in 2003. I joined in 2004, which helped sales reps get in front of their clients. It was solving the last mile problem for sales reps. It turns out there, that industry, there are many industries in which in order to get time from the, your decision maker, you have to bring in food for the entire office. The net of that is people who are sales professionals have to order catering, but that's not what they really want to do, right? They're trained sales professionals selling whatever kind of complex product they have to sell. They're busy. Their brains are full with all that other information. Why would they do this? We built a product that helped these sales reps get in front of their customers, but after three years or so, we ran out of cash before we got to profitability. We shut the doors and we said, you know, we've had several thousand people ask us several thousand times, make the food appear. So we launched this company. Just based out of that need just that you Just based out of the need that just slapped us in the face. Right. And so then we discovered that not only do sales reps need this, but I mean, this wasn't really a discovery. It was a realization like, of course, companies order food for themselves too. 
And what we thought was a billion dollars of food that gets ordered every year actually turned into $22 billion of Just food. Just in the U.S.? In the U.S. $22 billion of catered $22 billion food. of catered food goes into businesses for into businesses. all kinds of meetings, all kinds of... $22 of, billion. Uh, yeah, all kinds of events. And I'm even leaving out the three-day sales kickoffs in Boca Raton where you're... There's a hotel catered. thing that's, that's whole, already taken. Yeah, right, that's, that's a separate different. thing. Yeah. This, this is, is where meetings. it's ordering... From ordering somewhere else in, to bring it in. Yeah. To bring it in. Ordering to bring it into your office for a meeting, for a sales call, for a project team meeting, for the for lunch for all your employees, all of that together. $22 billion a year. Wow. So we're helping make that happen. You come to our website, enter an address anywhere in the United States, and we will show you 10, 20, hundreds of restaurants and caterers that will deliver to that location. We give you the full information, menu uh, delivery fees, whatever fees the restaurant has to charge. Place your order, you're done. From then on, we quarterback that thing, to use your sports analogy from before, mm-hmm. and we make sure that it makes it all the way to completion. So you're so managing really well. You're we managing most, all of those caterers as well, making we sure their performance make sure is there, the, yeah, exactly their quality, right. everything. That's exactly right. And we have great customer service uh, backing up every order that you place. If you have a problem, let's say you have a problem, something does happen, even the best restaurants can make a mistake. Or they get caught up in a horrible traffic jam. It's not their fault. We will find out that they're late. We will let you know. You get back to your meeting. You have an issue. The food has arrived. It's on time. But, oh, my God, they forgot one dish. Mm. You call us. Chat with us. Text with us. By whatever means. They don't have to deal directly with the caterer. Everything is to easy You go back to your meeting and say, I got it under control. Let's have the meeting. Works really well. That's amazing. And it costs you nothing. Cost That's exactly the you same. You just pay whatever you the pay fees whatever are for that, the whatever the cost would, of that food yeah, is. You pay what just, the restaurant would have charged you anyway. Wow. We get paid as a, a marketing fee by the restaurants. What are some of the things your customers are saying that maybe, I mean, those benefits are obvious. Are there any surprise benefits that people are experiencing? One thing we hear a lot is, I had no idea there were so many options of restaurants that would deliver to my location. Yeah. We now, get in a rut at our company. We, we always go to that to the same ones. And we're we like, get people get bored. People right? get bored. Yeah. I, now, people say, I, I'm a hero. Now in my office, I'm a hero because <laughs> we have all kinds of different things. Another thing that people don't expect is that we have a reward program. If you deal with a restaurant again and again, you get rewards from that restaurant. If you order all the time through Easy Cater, you get rewards for everything that you order, every meal you order, you can aggregate those and then you can use them either for the next event, for a discount off of the next meal, even if it's from a completely different restaurant from any that you'd already ordered before. Oh. Well, so that's, that's, that's the commercial HR that's people commercial. from Easy Cater. <laughs> Try it out. Well, in addition to Bob, we got connected to your organization um, and I think that's, that's after this news story came out, it was a Channel 4 CBS Boston interview where our president, Ralph Roberto, was uh, being interviewed about culture, and so weren't a couple of your employees about your own culture. And Ralph said that culture is almost like an invisible ecosystem that discerns whether you're going to be happy or successful in an organization. And then some of, uh, a couple of your people, one said that at Easy Cater, each member of the team is bright, driven, curious, and also kind. And then a manager yeah. said, we hire for culture first, and then followed up with, and we mean it. So this made me think to talk to Bob again and say, well, we should be talking to Easy Cater about yeah. what they're doing because our listeners are very focused on culture. And maybe we could shift and can you talk a little bit about when did you first think about we want to create an intentional culture? And then what steps did you take 
to do it. Because we've had a few guests on the podcast from larger companies that are very culture focused, like HubSpot, Rapid7, several others. But I interviewed them when they had thousands of employees. And here we are, much smaller, but growing fast. And it'd be good to get it a little bit sooner to when it happened. The first year or two, it was Briscoe, Rogers, and I. That, and then we hired our first employees. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to explain how we operate and go back to principles, like create a system. I said, what really matters to us is that you treat the customers this way and that you treat each other this way. There were all of three of them at the time. We didn't think of it as building a culture. It was just setting in place the principles. And we hired people, we, I, hired people, whom I suspected would hold to those um, those you weren't calling it culture principles. and values, but they no, were just they things the, you they, were they saying. They had the values. They were things I was saying. Right. I would say it was probably five, six years later that we finally said, we should write this down because we keep saying the same things again and again. I would tell people, they would tell their people as we started to hire more and more. It just became something we talked about a lot. The behaviors matter. The principles matter. We like to give people a lot of autonomy, not only responsibility, but the autonomy to act on that. And if you do that, you cannot have, you will create chaos if you don't give them principles within which to operate. You need to have the guardrails. You need to understand what the values are so that everybody's judgment calls will be similar. If you want people to act, help them understand the context within which they need to act. From there on, you're done. So since we, we have always cared enormously about scaling, about having this be a company that can grow very fast, and then it started to grow very fast, and we thought, boy, it's a good thing we care about this because, man, we need this. <laughs> we need the scaling ability. And that the only way you can scale is if you give people guardrails and let them run. So I would say it's uh, two or three years ago that we actually wrote down and put into these into stickers, put onto a sheet of stickers what our nine ingredients in our culture recipe are didn't take us too long to hammer them out because we've been talking so much about them. Mm -hmm. And now we have these stickers that's a lovely green shade that is the green of the Easy Cater uh, brand. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. And um, I love, I'm a, people on the podcast yeah. know I'm a sucker for the pun. And I really like this culture <laughs> recipe idea. So this is great. I know. That's our, our ace marketing department invented that. There's a lot of food metaphors in the English language. And we yes. use them all. <laughs> So these items, by having them as stickers, we see that people take their favorite one or two and they put them on their computers, they put them on their, on their desk, they put them on their, the screen of you know, the monitor. They... The one that's the most um, powerful is the one in the center, which is be insanely helpful. Uh, from the start, I would always talk about be as helpful to people as you can be. Be the best person you can be be the nicest, kindest, most outgoing, most positive, most supportive person you can be to the customers, to the restaurant partners, to each other, to our investors, to the landlord, to our vendors, anybody. And it turns out when you are that, a lot of other things follow. If you are insanely helpful, part of that is you will tell people what's going on. You will explain why something has happened. You will own what's going on. So one, two other of our tenets are trust and transparency. Be, you know, tell people what's happening. Own it. Figure it out. Well, if you're being insanely helpful, you're going to take on the customer's problem or the other party's problem. That's really our central thesis. Mm -hmm. Be really, really good to each other. Right. A and lot then follows from that. That follows to the, yeah. the customers as well. To customers, to restaurant partners, to each other, everybody. How do you hire for these things, Stefania? 
as you're bringing in people, you're growing, the needs are great. It's a very competitive market for all yeah. sorts of talent, especially the talent you're looking for with, you know, technology as yeah. a, and in software yep. and engineering is yep. huge for you. So our engineers, for example, we have the most helpful engineers possible. The, the, the engineers actually have done a very good job of articulating specific questions to ask that help identify what whether someone matches our cultural attributes. We have a pretty nuanced approach to this. Uh, Ed Ariel, who heads our customer service team, at one point I said to Ed, I know you're, you're hiring for cultural attribute, you're hiring for personal attributes more than you are for specific skill. We have a lot of people who never did customer service before who are excellent at our customer service. I said, so you should be hiring optimists, right? And he said, no, we hire positive realists. Hmm. An optimist will be saying, oh, I'm sure the food will get there. A positive realist will say, you know, the food might not get there, but here's how we could handle it if it didn't. (laughs) And I said, Ed, you've got the nuances. You're completely right. I am backing away. It's in your hands. You are doing a super job. So that's the level of nuanced precision that we bring to understanding the people that we bring in the door. Right. Well, I can see in some of the... um there's also some values that really do put some making sure things are right. Spending wisely is one. Try it, but also track it as well. You so want to talk tracking about that one, it is that critical. Value? Yeah. Even those are there are two parts to that. The track it part is true in everything we do. Measurements make for a psychologically safe workplace. They introduce objectivity. They introduce fairness. They focus each of us on the shared element of what do the numbers tell us. It isn't whether it's my idea or your idea. It's whether the results demonstrate that one of our ideas, and usually by then we've forgotten which one, is works better than the other one. Measurements make it so that I, as the founder, can't run around playing the founder card all the time. Somebody who has who's big and has a loud voice isn't going to automatically win over somebody who's a little more introverted or a little more quiet. It's measurements become this objective, clear, fair arbiter of what we should do next. Mm. We then match that, uh, marry that up to try it. It's okay to try it, and it's okay to fail. We have move fast. It's okay if you break things. Mm-hmm. Measure to tell if you did break something or not. Decide it was a good idea. Move on. Decide it wasn't a good idea. Stop. Do the next thing. Try the next thing. So the track it part makes for a safe place. The try it part makes for a fast-moving place. Mm-hmm. And often fast-moving and safe seem antithetical, but we have them together. Yeah. Now... You're bringing all sorts of new people into the organization. You have these awesome values. With all this growth, there must be times when sort of things aren't going as well as you want them to as you're growing this quickly. What do you do to get it back on track? How do you keep the organization when it veers? How do you bring it back? The organization so far has not veered. Individuals veer. But one of the things that we say to everybody who comes in here, usually within the very first week of their being here, we have a conversation in which we say, look, the culture is not Stefania's. The culture is not the original founding team. The culture is everybody. You own this culture. You, newest employee here, own this culture as much as I, the one who invented it, does. And so you need to help us strengthen it, help us police it, for lack of a better word, help us ensure that it remains strong. And so it's not like, oh gosh, we have 400 employees now or 375 or something who are potentially running off in 375 directions. It's actually, we have 375 people who are working to keep our culture on track. Mm. 
we have such great people. I love our employees. There's so much willingness on the part of everybody whom we've brought in to own it and help it and make it better. Well, you know, we, we do this podcast in cooperation with the Northeast Human Resources Association, and they have a young professionals group. And so we have the question of the podcast, the NERA YP question of the podcast, and I have one for you. This question comes from Farrell Murphy. She's an HR manager at Wayfair. And the question is, how do you overcome the fear of failure? So life has chapters. And what that means is if you mess this chapter up, there's going to be another one, <laughs> right? And when you think, I can't make a mistake here, look backward at your own data. Again, use your own measurements. Did you not mess up before? I bet you didn't get to wherever you are. It doesn't even matter once you're like more than three days old. You didn't get there without having done something silly the day before. You survived that. So use the data to say, oh, there's going to be another chapter. I'm going to be okay. So look backward and realize other people have failed, you have failed, and they're still upright. They're still going on. Right. And there's going to be another chapter. There's going to be another opportunity to fail. <laughs> there's going to be another opportunity to do it really well. So life has chapters. So this is another question. It's a little bit more personal. Go for it's it. more about advice you'd give your younger self. If you could write a letter of advice to your 30-year-old self, what would it be? What would you write? My 30-year-old self, 30. my 20-year-old self, my 10-year-old self, uh, my 40-year-old self, my 50-year-old self. Don't be so afraid. There are more chapters. Humans try to introduce a lot of fear mm. into your world. Just mm. try to push the it away. And, yeah. The news and yeah. your, even your parents. You know, be careful. Don't do this. Be careful. Be careful. Like, don't be so afraid. There's going to be another chapter. You know, it's interesting you say that because a couple podcasts ago, I interviewed Paul Davies from GE. Yeah. Uh, had an employee experience and he talked about a book that changed his life and it was Who Moved My Cheese, a book we all yeah. read 20 years ago. But he said there was one concept in there and that was to ask, continually ask yourself, if you weren't afraid, what yeah. would you do? Yeah. And he said that informs me over and over again. I usually end up doing that yeah. thing. You know? yeah. So it's just what yeah. you're saying. Same idea. What's important to you about people you hire for HR leadership or a chief people officer? We just hired a chief people officer. I'm very pleased about that. I have been our acting chief people officer uh, all this time. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that we didn't hire somebody for a long time is because we wanted to inculcate deeply into the way that our managers operate, that they understand that they own good treatment of each other, of their employees and of their peers, as much as anybody else does. You can get into this mindset of, well, let's let HR take care of that. We wanted to inculcate deeply that we all own that. So what I was looking for for a chief people officer was someone who would not centralize all that, would continue to strengthen everybody's ability to be a really good employee, a really good employer, and a really good interface between those two, and would add in deep, deep kindness. You can get lost in HR and become the police that are worried about compliance and worried about the laws. And, and you have to be thoughtful about those, but, and you can't just take stupid risks, but deep kindness is the best way to treat people. And so I, we hired a woman who I believe, she hasn't started yet, but I believe that she embodies deep kindness. That's right. And do you have any other messages for HR? Interesting, you've built such a strong culture organization without having an HR leader. You've, you've played that role. Yeah. You've played that role. For better or worse. But I, I bet you might have a message overall um, to the HR community. Any advice, ideas? 
an advice, I guess I would say for them as much as for anybody else, say yes more than you say no. Find ways to make it possible for the employee to do that mm. more than find ways to protect the company or protect somebody and say no. Find a way to say yes. Find a way to say yes. Is there a thought leader that you look to or study or follow on leadership or business or... I get advice, I get input, I get human learning from every single person I bump into. This morning, uh, coming out of the train, it was a conductor, and I wasn't nice to the conductors because they're there every day, and I like mm. them, and they, you know, they're good, they help me. <laughs> and so I saw him, and I saw that he recognized me, but he was shy, like he hadn't seen me for a while, but I could tell that he knew who I was. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm not on my normal train, it's nice I bumped into you. And he said, yeah. Well, it's nice to talk to you. Um, it's good to see you. I, I don't get to talk to customers very much because we're told not to get too familiar. And I thought, oh, that's why they uh, often, you know, often the conductors almost act like you're not there. And I uh, think, come on. That's the... But the part, but so I, I learned there when, why they're actually told not to get too familiar because what? Then maybe I would say I didn't bring my badge or this is my buddy and he doesn't have a ticket. Will uh, you let him on? And so there's a professional reason to be a little cautious. Mm. I learned that from having this little chat with this guy right, today. Right. You learn. And you get a new perspective. You get about... a new perspective. You learn things from people every right. day. All right. I have some lighter questions for you, Stefania. Okay. This is, uh, we'll have some fun with these. Okay. What gives you energy? Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you recharge your no. batteries. Yeah. I recharge my batteries. No, uh, <laughs> people and laughter. It's one of the things I was noticing when I was walking down here to, to this conference room. I walked down the hall. I mean, a bunch of our people were clustered together at one end, and they were laughing really hard about I don't even know what. And I thought, I just love that. And I just <laughs> kept going. So it's laughter. Laughter. People. A book that changed your life? Uh, a lot of books have had a lot of influence on me. There's one that just flashed to mind. It was a book that reconciled for me two important things. Part of me wants to be very zen and very calm, and another part of me is this incredibly driven capitalist mm. who wants to build a world-beating company. And I could never reconcile my strong ambition, my I think I was born ambitious, I was certainly born industrious, and my desire to be mm. calm. And this book, I'm going to paraphrase what they said, but I have carried it forward as work like hell to do the best you can at everything you can control and then let go of the outcome. And I separate thought, those, and that, separate that's where those. the Zen comes from. Yeah. Mm. So I, as it is, I fight like hell to do everything I possibly can do, and I let go of the outcome. Ah, that's and great. That was yeah, the corporate shaman. You got it. There you go. It's Richard Whiteley. He made a huge difference in my life with that line. With that one. With that way of reconciling these two things. That's great. All right, one last one. What is your secret life hack? As a software person, you know that terminology. Do you have a secret secret life hack? I'm terrifically organized. I have systems. Like, organize yourself with systems. You have certain kinds of lists. Have things belong in a certain place. I'm, I don't think I'm... I think I stopped short of OCD, but I'm... Right up against the edge. Right up against <laughs> the edge. I have these systems. And it just makes it so that a lot of friction is gone. And you can focus much more on the creative parts and the people parts. Stefania, it's been so great having you on the podcast. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks a lot.
Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.